Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is May 26, 2014. Jake, happy Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day to you as well. This is episode 79. I am Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, Dave Johnson. I mean, Jake English. Hey, I was really great once in 1989. Yeah, well, at least you've got a, your father to a son that can barely make it into the major leagues. Ouch. Yeah. You can find us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also run a roll on over to the baltimoresportsreport.com slash network where you can listen to our wonderful sister wise. Specifically, you should go over there and listen to the Baltimoreans who did an amazing job this past weekend with their live broadcast of Friday night's game. Accounts and descriptions, my friends. Yes. Accounts and descriptions. We'd also appreciate you going and listening to us on all other formats, such as Miro, Stitcher, Double Twist. And also, you can pop over to that uh, iTunes uh, store and uh, listen to us there. Give us a review. And um, we really would appreciate you giving us a review before uh, Apple decides to nuke us back into oblivion and destroy any reviews that we had in previous in a previous life. You can also find us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, Google+, and on YouTube. And uh, Jake, uh, other areas you can catch us. We've been uh, popping up on the post-game live on channel BSR. For those individuals that would like to see us after the games, we are on after the games on Tuesdays and Thursdays with the rest of our sister wives in the Baltimore Sports Report. You can find us at baltimoresportsreport.com slash live, 10 to 15 minutes after the games on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. It all depends depends on how depressing that game was. More times than not, even if it's a depressing game such as last Thursday, we will still make an appearance. It'll just be a much shorter and much less happy after game show. Sure. Um, speaking of other small matters, head on over to our website, go click on the Amazon link at the bottom, buy something, um, and just help keep our lights on. We appreciate it. With that, Jake, drink of the week. Let's start. My drink of the week is a bucket o margarita. Wow, that sounds really oh fancy. Hey, it's it's Memorial Day. It's the traditional start of summer. That means nothing like celebrating U.S. you know memorial and service than drinking a Mexican beverage. A big old bucket of margarita. Well, that's very nice, Jake. I am going with a um, rye whiskey from Rittenhouse. So I'm actually supporting our country by uh, supporting the distilleries of our natural land. So courtesy. Thanks, Scotty. Yeah. All right, what do you have for us in the medical wing this week? Medical wing, uh, I think uh, the one big news was Tommy Hunter is on the DL with a strain left groin. Maybe? Yeah. Look, if, if this is an injury, great. If this is a phantom injury, even better. The point is it either explains away Tommy Hunter's terrible performance or it doesn't. But 
the point is he has two weeks on the DL and maybe some, some time after that to go ahead and do rehab assignments to get himself together and to right the ship. And I hope that he uses the time to do that because if the Orioles are going to be there at the end of the season, they're going to need the good Tommy Hunter rather than the Tommy Hunter they got thus far. Whatever the role, somewhere in that bullpen, Tommy Hunter needs to be effective for them to have a chance. Um, other individuals on Groin Watch 2014 was Manny Machado, who was out for several days this past week. How horrifying was that, by the way? You, you saw him get removed, and and they said, oh, it might be a, a groin injury, and you're like, no! Baltimore collectively gasped on Manny Machado's groin. Right. Again. But no, he uh, he came back and hit a home run in his first game, so he, he seems okay. So, good job groin? Yes. Okay. The good. new oblique is the groin. All right. Um, other individuals on the medical wing, Matt Wieters, really still no updates on that. We're still hoping that he avoids surgery, but it's looking less and less likely. Especially with the addition of Nick Hundley. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure what to make I, of that. I don't think the two are mutually inclusive. I think they're totally, you know, separate. I think we you're you're basically you're saying, oh, look, you know, they did one thing, so that means something else. I think you're connecting dash lines. It's not a complete stretch, Scott. You're right. It's not a complete stretch, but it's still a stretch. And I'm just warning you, if you stretch too much, you're going to injure your groin. going to pull a groin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Buck Walter was saying that they're hoping to know more at the three-week mark after uh, having seen Dr. Death, uh, Dr. James Andrews. So once that three-week mark hits, they're hoping that they'll know more. Right. Um, other individual I want to talk about was Johan Santana. He uh, pitched uh, one more extended spring training game, and then he'll be going to an affiliate probably sometime later this week. His fastball is up to 90. It's only touching 90. It's somewhere in between that 86 to 90 mile per hour. The interesting thing here was June 1st was the tentative date where he could opt out of his contract. I would assume that he is going to have to be assigned to an affiliate before, well, if he's going to have to be assigned to an affiliate or else he's going to say, oh, I'm going to basically opt out of this contract. Well, I think that really, you know, he'll sit down with his representatives and decide, is it worth sticking around a little bit? It wouldn't surprise me to see Johan Santana and the Orioles set a new date and basically say, okay, we made it this far. Well, that's his option to opt out. He doesn't have to opt out. He could just say, hey, well, fair point. I see what you're saying is you could say July 1st. I could have another opt out date. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You know, everybody's comfortable with where we are so far. We're going to go to an affiliate. We're going to see how it works out. But let's not lock me into playing in the minors all season. Let's put another date out there. Well, with TJ McFarlane now up in the bullpen, it does kind of free up some spots in Norfolk. So it'd be interesting to see if they bring Santana right to Norfolk or whether they'll just bring him into single A or double A. I think it's a situation of you just bring him right up to Norfolk and see how he does. Sure. Um, that's really it in the medical wing that I really want to cover. The only other individual that I thought we should mention too is Francisco Baguero, who's going to be coming off his uh, rehab assignment this week as well. Um, he has a major league contract. So again, he is an individual that he's going to have to come up to the active roster or else he's going to have to pass through waivers. Um, he has no options. So we could be looking to see Francisco Baguero come off his rehab assignment in Norfolk, who, and he was named international player of the week. Um, so we could be seeing Peguero up here later this week as well. Sure, absolutely. Uh, another guy I wanted to mention was Nolan Reimold, who is getting very close to to completing his uh, DL stint and, and might be able to come back and start doing some some rehab uh, assignments, at which point he'll get hurt again. Well, yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see what will happen then because, again, you'll have two outfielders coming up here. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with players such as Steve Pierce, Delman Young, and uh, David Lowe, 
And yeah, if you can't remember David Lowe's name, it's because he hasn't done anything at the major right. league level. That's true. Speaking of things that happened this week, though, let's go to the twat. All right, this week in the Twitters. Uh, on, on the Twitters. Excuse me, this on week, the Twitters. This week on the Twitters. Uh, I just wanted to point out something that Brett Hollander tweeted out uh, on the 21st of May. Not quite sure if it's still true because that would have required me looking. But he tweeted out, Steve Clevenger has a higher OPS than Brian McCann. Yes, that's Steve Clevenger, the one from Pigtown. It's okay. kind of nice yeah. if you look at that. Yeah, it is nice. Um, definitely really impressed so far with Steve Clevenger's offensive numbers. We were talking this week about this at the beach, and um, uh, it's actually been pretty impressive how well offensively Steve Clevenger has been doing. You, you make us sound like a married couple. I was not there talking to you at, at the beach uh, about this. I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to other people at the beach. Okay, but, thank you. Yeah. If you want to come down to the beach and hold my hand, it, just, it, it was Rehoboth, so it, it, it's perfectly fine and acceptable. So we like what we're getting out of Clevenger. Yes, I like what we're getting out of Clevenger. I don't want to see Steve Clevenger disappear into the vast emptiness, which is the bench of the Orioles. Um, also on the Twitters this week, we had babies, babies everywhere. Uh, it, it was funny because I had two tweets right on top of each other in my in my timeline at some point. Um, the the uh, more recent one was at Orioles 101, who tweeted out, Congratulations to Dan and Amy Duquette on the birth of son Colt at uh, 12.58 a.m. That was like their sixth or seventh kid, too. Yeah, yeah, they got a baseball team now with, with the nine of them. So Dan Duquette's keeping his options open. Absolutely. By the way, his wife is very young and pretty hot. Oh, my. Just, just pointing out. Right under that on my uh, timeline was <laughs> at Eddie in the Yard, who tweets, Chris Davis's wife could be induced on Sunday morning, which would mean that Davis would miss Sunday and Monday and would be placed on paternity list. As you know, that did come to pass. Yep. Brittany Giroli posted on Twitter basically saying that Chris Davis and his uh, wife um, had a lovely baby girl um, last night right around 6 o'clock in the evening, and it was a 7-pound baby. So if you're listening to this, do not drink the water at Camden Yards. Now, Jake, there was no name mentioned for the Davis baby. What are you thinking for names? Dong. Dong Dong Davis? Dong Davis. For, for, for a girl? Yes. Okay. Donga. Donga? Donga Davis? Okay. We're going to go with Donga Davis. <laughs> that is my official guess, yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, we talked about this last week, and it was um, pitching in, our pitch inefficiency and the Orioles being very aggressive at the plate and, you know, how that should lead to people being fired and, you know, mass mutiny. And then, oh, look at that. The Orioles turn around and basically hit the lights out of the ballpark offensively. Um, speaking about, you know, being offensive, um, Steve Molesky posted this stat, which was, latest example, Adam Jones can thrive without working count. Friday goes three for four, two doubles, scored three runs in five plate appearances, saw only nine total pitches. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. And well, he's infuriating, and he makes me mad, but he's really good. Yeah, he's, a, he's an aggressive hitter, but that's how he sees success. So if you're expecting him to take pitches and go for the walk, that's not what Adam Jones does. All right, I want to take a look at the Brock watch. Okay. Um, different than the Brian Roberts watch, this was um, uh, a, a little while ago this week. weren't sure what the roster move was going to be. Brock had pitched, and so the expectation was that Brock could have been uh, optioned down after pitching. I think it was four four innings. Uh, Rockabaco tweeted out, Brock said that he showed up today not knowing if he was being optioned, worked out, no coaches were looking for him. That was a good sign. 
this tells me that Brad Brock is excellent at hide and seek. I know, seriously. <laughs> I would I would totally have pulled the Bobby Valentine thing. I would have had shades, yep. a fake mustache. I would have been hiding in the bathroom the yep. entire day. Brock, where'd you come from? I was in the Gatorade tank the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't send him down, and uh, you know, good for him. Um, last uh, tweet that I wanted to comment on today was Zach Clark. Um, he posted it on Twitter today saying, I love playing baseball every day. Thanks to everyone who has served and sacrificed to allow me that freedom. Zach Clark gets it. Baseball is, you know, just a game for, you know, men that are trying to still be boys. But there truly are men and heroes out there that serve on a day-in and day-out basis and who have made the ultimate sacrifice. So to them, we give them the ultimate salute and we thank you for all your service. And, And it's nice that, you know, it's important for us not to confuse who the heroes are, but it's nice that the guys playing baseball get that and they are all about absolutely yep thank you so much for protecting us and making sure that our country is nice and sound and make sure that jake and i don't have to go out and serve and uh, make an embarrassment for our country and with that let's go into our next next embarrassing segment and uh we'll be right back folks The Orioles for May have been in first or second place for 20 out of the 26 days so far this month. But for the past week, the Orioles have been stuck in the middle in third place. Coming into today's games, the Orioles were in third place at two and a half games out to the... Wait, the Blue Jays? Wait, that doesn't sound right. Evidently, the uh, people in Canada are playing really good baseball right now, so kudos to them. Um, But the Orioles... Don't they know they're ruining Memorial Day? Yeah. Canada. So you also have been playing 500 baseball with series splits versus the Royals, the Pirates, and the Indians since May 15th. However, the way they've been going about it has been all over the place. So I'm going to go. Let's go back to the Kansas City series, and the pitching was absolutely phenomenal during this this series. Um, here, here's where it went. May 15th, we won. Starter went gave up one run. It was Chen, and bullpen gave up zero runs. May 16th was Tillman's complete game with no runs. May 17th was Bud Norris going out there and throwing a one run outing with the bullpen giving up zero runs, but we lost the game one to nothing in an infuriating fashion. And then May 18th is when some stuff started to come off the tracks because Jimenez came out there, gave up five runs, and the bullpen gave up three runs as well. And that was the eight to six loss. But for three games there, pitching was absolutely phenomenal. And there was talk of why can't the Orioles hit? Where is the offense? And that call last week for you know firing of managers and coaches and everything. Sure. And it's funny because, you know, these things have in flow, but you'd really like to see what would happen if the hitting and the pitching hit all at the same time. Sure. So let's go to that Kansas City series. The stats for that series was they had a 244 average, a 604 OPS, and their TOPS plus, which basically looks at team OPS in comparison and percentile, 
was 69. So it was if 100 is average, they were well below average for a team. And oh, they were well below, well below, well below, well below average in that series. So let's go to the Pittsburgh series. The offense finally came alive, similar to what they did in that last game where they scored six runs. Um, Chris Davis in that first game hit three home runs, and everyone was saying he's back. He's back. He's back. It's great to see Crush again. Orioles hit nine nine eight OPS that game, and the Orioles were also able to keep the Pirates at two runs allowed through six innings pitched with Gonzo. So it was a game like you said, where we put an offensive production together, and also we had decent enough pitching where you know it wasn't a really close game. The thing is, though, is that the Pirates are not world beaters offensively. I'm not, not, I totally agree with you about that. But again, that was a game that we said, this is what the Orioles should be like in our minds. Yeah, it, it really felt like it was finally getting the Orioles that my heart had promised itself in the preseason. And then we came to the next game, and I was really looking forward to this game because you look at the matchup, and it was Wandy Rodriguez versus Chris Tillman, and you're just like, ding. We got this, no question about it. You know, this is a great game for us going into here. Tillman coming off a complete game. Tillman win. coming off a complete game against Wandy Rodriguez. It's like, all right, we got this, no issue. And the wheels fell off the bus. Chris Tillman goes one inning pitched and allows eight earned runs in the pro. Actually, I think it was eight runs and six of them were earned. But still, it was a lot. It was a lot, and the wheels fell off the bus. Um, the only redeeming portion. Of this game was Brad Brock going four innings pitched. Oh, absolutely. And he, he did one of those McFarland things where he just kind of takes one for the team right. and keeps the bullpen alive to fight another day. Right. No, it was a absolutely clutch pitching performance. Right. Now, the offense still did amazing this game. They had a 971 OPS, scored eight runs, but lost the game in the seventh with, you know, just giving up that ninth run. But again, it was a situation of you can't get that many runs up and Tillman really shot the Orioles in the foot. And again, if Brad Bach doesn't come out there and pitch four innings, you're looking at you know a disastrous uh, situation going into the Cleveland series. Which turned out to be significant because the Cleveland series started up by eating up the bullpen. Absolutely. So let's go to Thursday and let's talk about why this is an issue. Chen goes five innings pitch and again gives up five runs in the process and they end up losing that game in the 13th inning when Troy Patton goes boom. So exactly, you're exactly right. If Brad Brock does not pitch four innings that game beforehand, you're looking at destroying yourself, your bullpen and everything by, you know, that, that absolutely terrible game by Chen in my well, opinion. Well, that, that's the point at which, you know, because of the, the number of innings that they would have pitched previously, you would have had guys that Showalter probably would have marked as unavailable. You probably would have seen a starter go in at the end of that 13 in yep. the game, which rocks the starting rotation. Sure. It could have been bad for the team, so right. I, I can't say enough what a big performance that is, and that that's the kind of that's the kind of contribution that doesn't show up very much. You know, it doesn't make the highlight reel. I, I feel like not enough people talk about it, but those fringe guys that bring such big relief really make a team. Right. So let's look at these four games here. You've got the last game in Kansas City. You've got the two games against the Pirates, and then you've got the first game against the Indians. In those four games, the Orioles scored 30 runs during those games, and they went one in three. That doesn't sound very good. No, it's it's not very good. They allowed 27 runs in the process, too. And it was a situation of, God, we have all this run scoring, and we have all this offense, but we can't put the pitching together, and we just had the pitching last week. Where did it go? But, Scott, during that stretch, they had a positive run differential. That means they're the best team ever. Thank you, Brian Kennedy. <laughs> you know how much I love the run differential yes. argument. Um, offensive potential though on Friday was equally as good. 1.22 OPS and eight runs scored and Bud Norris's big bad bud and able to hold it together for four on runs through six innings pitch. Not a great effort, but 
you know, well within the merits of that game. The thing that makes me crazy about this stretch is that it was such a roller coaster. I, I feel like it was mm-hmm. dramatic ups and dramatic downs. Case in point, you know, that game where Chris Davis makes his triumphant return to the world. He hits three home runs. And how does this team follow up on that? By getting absolutely destroyed in the next game in the most demeaning way possible. Having your number one starter get rocked in the first two innings. It was actually an inning plus Mm -hmm. where he didn't record an out in the second. He gave up four runs. The Orioles stormed back to score some runs for him. And then he frittered it away. And gave up four additional runs. And at that point, the game was was over. Well, this is a common theme so far with the Baltimore Orioles. With that five-game winning streak and then coming back off that five-game winning streak. They lost four in a row. They lost four in a row. Everyone has basically said, we cannot consistently win. It's okay if you have a losing streak and then you lose one game and then you come back and start another winning streak. But the fact is, the Orioles are basically playing like a 500 team even with these winning streaks. And again, it's very rare for them to have a sustained winning streak so far this season. Getting that five-game winning streak was huge in everyone's opinion. And then we basically just squandered away with Detroit. And I'm not saying Detroit is an easy team, but we also can't throw away the aspect of we should have won some of those games. Yeah, and the other thing about that is that when you look at, you know, analyzing the way the season's going, you and I and, and a lot of fans look at everything very closely. And Showalter said this in his last presser, where they can't afford to do that. They can't afford to live in the moment like we can because it makes us crazy and they can't live in that world. And I, I think there's a certain wisdom to that. And we tell ourselves, oh, don't get so wrapped up in it. But it's an emotional game. We, you know, I have a hard time not doing it. I don't know about you. Well, I think this grace is a great point of we, it's great we're in this mindset now where we're living and dying game to game. We were not afforded that luxury several years ago. And now it's something that we as baseball fans are still getting used to after 2012, where you're living and dying with every single game late into May, into June, in July, into August. And I hear people saying to me, oh, great, we lost this game in May. That's going to come back to bite us in September. And as much as I you know, hate to hear that, at the same point, I'm just like, good. People are thinking about September. It's not just people saying, oh, Ravens training camp and Ravens, you know, the season's going to start by then. People are thinking about this is going to matter when the playoffs are on the line. And you think about it, teams that have, you know, uh, a lot of success of late, you know, the Yankees, the Red Sox, all this. Other. When when their fan bases react to a, a loss, it's like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll be there because they have that confidence that Correct. their team will. Come. We're still building that confidence with Correct. a team that over the last two years has been successful, meaning you know has made it to the playoffs, has had a winning season. But beyond that, we don't know that our team is going to be there at the end. Sure, we I mean, don't have that level of confidence yet. Absolutely. When we were in 2012, and you know, you and I just started this podcast, we were kept in like, well. The shoe's eventually going to drop. This is exactly what happened in 2005, and the shoe never dropped. And in 2013, we came back and were like, look, we were wrong last year. The shoe's not going to drop. This is a good team. This is a good manager. They're going to keep it up. They just were never able to distance themselves and make that similar magical run like they did in 2012. Are the Orioles in bad situation right now? No, they're actually exactly where they should be compared to 2012. They are just going to have to get hot at the right time in order to make a playoff run. And at this time... They haven't gotten hot. Now, that being said, there has been a lot of players that have been hurt, and the team hasn't come together exactly right. You just have to hope that the Orioles can put it together and, all at the same time. And catch the first-place Blue Jays that are two and a half games ahead of them. Well, I mean, that's true. I mean, for example, the Orioles were two and a half games out earlier this season, too, and we were able to get into first place again, first and second place within that 20 to 20, 20, games out of, uh, 20 days out of 26 uh, days in May. So it's still way too early to be getting panic-stricken. 
Um, you know, let's not get too concerned about that. But I want to look at May because, again, we're starting to wrap up May. And I think we need to look at three pitchers in specific that have been kind of strange. And that's Tillman, Chen, and Jimenez. Um, I, I want to look at uh, Jimenez to start with because we were told, you know, once he gets out of April and gets into May, things are going to change. And when May started, that was the case. For three starts, he was, you know, absolutely lights out. He had some great performances. And then over the past two starts, he's been pretty poor. Um, People need to follow him with a calendar. Right. So let's go through his stats um, at the beginning of the season, or beginning of May. He went 19 and two-thirds of an innings pitch, allowed one earned run in those three starts. Hit a .46 ERA. People were only betting 191 against him, a .477 OPS, and he threw 63% of his pitches for strikes. That looks like the Jimenez of second half of last season, in my opinion. And the one that earned all that money. It's not a lot of money. For, let's get over this whole aspect of it's a <laughs> lot of money. It's not a lot of money. Scott Feldman is making $10 million a year. 12 to $13 million is not a lot of money. Scott, I'm baiting you. Continue. But over the past two starts, he's basically pitched nine innings pitched, 10 in runs, so that gives him a 10 ARI, 316 on, uh, base average, 804 OPS, 407 Babbitt, which I think is interesting, and he's thrown 62% of strikes. So for the people who are saying he's not throwing enough strikes, he's actually pitching the same amount of strikes as he did from those other starts too. So my question, Jake, is what's different? Well, you can't say that it's it's May. Um, I don't know. This is the this is the Baldo Jimenez from April. What is the difference? Because Scott, I know that you you broke down um, his pitch selection and the frequency of his different pitches and how effective they were. So why don't you break down it and tell us what we were seeing during the good times and what we're seeing now? All right. So let's go through this. Um, what was really interesting to me um, was looking at his pitch selection in the beginning of May. Um, his frequency was um, the two ones I want to take a look at were his four-seam fastball and his slider. His uh, four-seam percentage at the beginning of this month was at 18.35%, and his slider was at 22.32%, as opposed to now where he's only at 8.63% of his four-seamer, and his slider's at 31.47%. The rest of his pitches are pretty uniform there, but it's actually just really interesting to see how much the four-seamer has been basically taken out of the arsenal over the past two weeks. Now, normally I'm a big advocate of going away from it because of his reduced velocity, but this might be getting to a situation of, you know, using the breaking ball too much. Well, and, and it goes to, he was using it a lot when it was working. Mm -hmm. And, and now that it's not working for him, he's, he's moving away from it. And the thing is that at his velocity and the way he pitches, he needs that four seamer to be an effective pitch for him if he's going to be successful. So if it's not working for him, he's got those secondary pitches, but it's clear from what you're showing us that those secondary pitches aren't enough to carry him. You're absolutely right. So let's go through really quickly and look at the four seamer and why it's not working for him. So at the beginning of this beginning of May, his four seamer, he had 30% balls, 30% strikes. Now he's at 47% balls, 17% strikes. Wait, I'm going to be dumb for a second. Yes. We're just looking at his four-seam fastballs. Yes. 30% of them were strikes. Yes. 30% of them were balls. Yes. What was the remaining 40%? The rest were hits. Ah. Yeah. All right. I'm with you. <laughs> the rest were hits. Um, nice, nice try there, but <laughs> they can also be fouls is another thing. So, And that doesn't count as a strike? No. It's, you throw that into a foul percentage. All right. Fine. Because you're making contact with it. Okay. 30%. I'm, I'm with you now. Okay. Um, so again, you're seeing a massive 
detailing out of not getting good placement. And I think that actually makes sense because, again, when you're watching Jimenez pitch right now, the glove is going up and the catcher's glove is having to move out and try to catch it. And more times than not, it's outside the zone. So his pitch placement with his four-seamer has been really poor, I think, as of late. And even when he's getting strikes, it's not often hitting the target. That's something that I've noticed watching his last couple starts, that even when he's getting strikeouts, even when he's he's getting back into counts, it's not where the catcher is putting the glove. Right. Um, another thing I want to touch base off is his whiff percentage. His whiff percentage is down by over a solid percent, and his foul percentage is down by over 5% um, recently as well, which I think is something to note. Um, in terms of the slider, um, again, he's been using that a lot more lately. Um, just his balls are at 43.84% as opposed to you know being at 33% the other way around. So his slaughter has just been outside the zone as well. So again, he's just having a really tough time um, commanding his pitches, um, both for his four seamer and his slider, which is really his go-to pitches. Sure. And the slider is more effective when you can spot the fastball. Right. I, I just think it's really interesting just to look at him and just compare it to, you know, previous years. Um, you know, he really got reliant on the breaking ball um, last year and started to move away from his four seamer and I think he might have just gone too far with that recently. I think he needs to get a better pitch balance out. But I think it's just going to come back to placement of the ball. If he doesn't have faith in all his pitches, he's not going to be able to mix it up. And I think he's become too reliant on just a few pitches and has lost another pitch out of his arsenal right now. Well, do you think it's the fact that he just doesn't have the confidence in it? I think it's mechanics. Do you? I think it's mechanics. I think it's just, you know, he's watching it come into play. And he's just like, that's not the way I feel like the ball should be going up there. And I think he relies on it. And then people are able to guess. And then he's putting into play. I think that's one of the reasons why the BABIP is so high is because people are saying, I know what's coming. I'm going to put it into play. And that's why they're hitting at 400 as well. Well, if they know what's coming, maybe they should tell Ubaldo Jimenez because it does not seem that he knows. Uh, is this the part of the program where we're supposed to, say, fire the pitching coach? Is that is that what we do here? <laughs> no. I, I don't know what to do with Jimenez. I mean, I think this is just par for the course. It, it's interesting, too, to look at him this so far this year, too, and look at his case per walk ratio, and it's absolutely atrocious compared to last year. Again, this looks like— Not just compared to last year. It's atrocious. But it's, it's just it's, atrocious. It's atrocious across the board. It's not just compared to last year. It's It's, you know, absolutely poor compared to the rest of the league. So again, it's a command issue, and I just scream mechanics, mechanics, mechanics. I don't think this is velocity related. I think this is just pitch selection and mechanics and having confidence. It's, I hate to say it, it's Jake Arrieta all over again. It's not having the ability and confidence to know where your pitchers are coming into the plate. The one thing that, that is a difference between him and Jake Arrieta is that uh, Baldo Jimenez has done it at the major league level. He has a track record. He, he can go back to what he was at some point because he's already done it, you know, whereas Jake Arrieta never really had that. Um, so I agree. I'm not really sure that I can break down mechanics with Baldo Jimenez not having watched him over oh. the last couple series. I, I don't know what's good and bad because I don't his, think we have the ability or talent to do that. I think that's well, his, his his mechanics are just a mess to begin with. Right. I mean, his his wind up and delivery is just all over the place. And if that works for you, great. And there are plenty of pitchers for which that works. But it's not like we can say, oh, he's out of sync. You can see he's pulling that elbow in because there's there's no, no way. There's no way. Uh, again, I'm going to rely on the coaches and I'm going to rely on you know biomechanical analysis to get get in straightened out. But at some point, it's got to all come together. And if it's going to be this herky-jerky 50-50 split, you know, I believe that Orioles fans willing to come back and question the, the saying, were we really better off having Jake Carrietta over Abaldo Jimenez? And 
You know, at the beginning of the season, I was like, you're well, they'll, they'll be happy to say, weren't we better off with uh, Jason Hamill and weren't we better off with Scott Feldman because those guys are doing well. Yeah, okay. I just, I don't Voice know. Voice of the fan. Yeah, I don't know what to say about Jimenez right now besides he needs to look at his mechanics and he needs to look at his pitch selection. There's no reason for that ball percentage to be coming up that high at this time. I also think he needs to take a look at his whiff percentage too. I don't think he's making as many good pitches, which means that people are not swinging as much, which means that whiff percentage as well. Again, you're going to have to make good pitches, but don't throw those meatballs right across the plate. That lead to home runs as well that we were criticizing too in April. All right. So that's some ball to Jimenez. Basically, you're saying he's a mess and he needs to get fixed. Yeah. I don't know what else. Way, way I don't, to spot the problems without offering a solution, I, Scott Magnus. Again, I'm going to rely on the pitching coaches because they're able to actually sit there and watch the mechanical analysis. I'm not good with that. And I don't have the technique or tools, I believe, to have that happen. All right. Did you take a similar look at Chris Tillman? I did. Um, I, I looked at Chris Tillman and honestly, everything looks okay in terms of pitch selection. I just think it comes back to, you know, Zach brought up a great point where velocity was greatly reduced. It, you know, I was looking at his velocity and it's down by over a mile and a half um, in terms of his, uh, his four seamer. I think that's just a huge deal. You look at his whiff percentage last year, it was at 9.56 for his, uh, for uh, his four seamer. And this year in May, it's at 6.35%. That's a huge difference in terms of whiff percentage for, you know, your top pitch basically yeah well the problem that i've seen with with chris tillman and his bad starts is just uh, on the inability to locate and it's not just you know he's missing by a little bit he's missing by a lot and he's missing consistently you know when he's pitching to left-handed hitters he's throwing into the right-handed batter's box um you know it's it's up way away it's it's you know again even when he's getting strikes it's not where it's intended to go and if he can't find that fastball command the rest of it's just gone you know i know you say that but then i'm looking at his ball and strike percentage and they're really not that much different than he was in 2013 so maybe it's maybe it's from my eyes it, it's a lot easier to look away when he's actually getting those outs but when no, when nothing's happening <laughs> you know you you can focus more on those on those pitches but the thing is it Chris Tillman it just doesn't look like he's in sorts because again he he struggles with that fastball and then has to throw over the curveball and if he can't locate with the curveball well that's when the walk machine starts i still say it's having that velocity drop is just killing him right now we haven't seen this kind of velocity drop for you know a prolonged period of time since you know back in 2011 i know that baltimoreans have talked about this i know zach has talked about this and i know that we see inconsistency from game to game but again if we're looking just over a monthly sample as opposed to game to game to game I think it's something that is significant of note, and I think it's just a situation of, I think these are just lingering issues from his groin, and I think he's just trying to regain strength back. Well, he he says it's absolutely not the groin. That's fine. He can say that as much as he wants, but I still think it's the groin. Okay. I'm on groin watcher, okay? (laughs) You you do like looking at the groins. Yes. But again, when you see a fastball velocity drop by over 1.4 miles per hour, that's huge. I mean, that would be something that you would be like, oh, he's, you know, on the career downside of his career. He's basically losing and he's going to start to have to go back to his breaking balls. And looking at Chris Tillman. A la Hibaldo Jimenez. A la Hibaldo Jimenez, which again was the situation where he's just like, oh, I can't blow it past these guys. I've got to throw more breaking balls. If that's the case with Chris Tillman, um, watch out. That's going to be a rough year for Chris Tillman. Well, you know, we, you and I were talking about this off mic. What would people be saying if we were getting these kind of performances out of a guy like Miguel Gonzalez? Oh, let's say designate for assignment immediately. Absolutely. There's no question. You know, it's really lucky that Chris Tillman was able to get that complete game because, again, if you look at his starts throughout May, they're, you know, five, six innings pitched. They really haven't been consistent. You and Miguel Gonzalez, he's actually been the most consistent player. He's got the most amount of quality starts in the entire rotation. 
if Chris Tillman was Miguel Gonzalez and wasn't the certified ace of this team, we'd be saying we should bring Kevin Gossman up for Chris Tillman. Absolutely. And that's really not an option because Chris Tillman doesn't have options. But it definitely raises major concerns. Well, color me concerned. Um, Scott, at this point, you know, we've been talking a lot of groins. And uh, that's got me all hot and bothered. I'd like to just move on. So play the tape. Let's get sexy. Sexiest potpourri ever for 200. Gonna love it. That's right, baby. Let's turn the lights low and let's mix business with pleasure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. That was a lot more to love. Ooh, yeah. That's right. It's our favorite. Alex Trebek, it's the sexiest potpourri ever. Let's hit a couple of topics. Scott, first, the legend of Steve Pierce continues. This guy, you know, makes it through the waiver wire. He comes back to the Orioles. He rides off into the sunset, plays the hero. Chris Davis gets hurt. He's the one that's there. He's actually productive. Now that Chris Davis is off on paternity leave, Steve Pierce is getting it done again. And the cries for Steve Pierce to have more consistent playing time are starting to intensify. What do you think? I still think he's a utility player. I think he's a great bench player. I think the ability for him to come off on the seventh or eighth inning off the bench and be able to be a productive batter, just as a great example of being a bench player, I do not see him as a starting player in this lineup at this time. Yeah, and the other thing is that uh, Steve Pierce knows he's a bench player, and that's something that he said in his post-game interview the other day. Hey, this is what I am. I'm a bench player. There's nothing wrong with being a bench player. Right. I got to be ready. I got to do my part. I just want to contribute to wins. I say don't mess with that. Because if if he's going to check his ego at the door and he's going to bring his glove and his bat and be ready for you, use him the way he's supposed to be used. So, Steve, keep riding the pine, but keep being effective. (laughs) All right. Next. Scotty, before today's game, I wrote this down and I asked, is Zach Britton the closer, you know, because he he's gotten more of the save opportunities in the post Tommy Hunter than anybody else. But, um, you know, was he really the designated closer? And up until today, I would have been like, I'm not so sure. You know, I, I think it might be a closer by committee. But then today happened and Preston Gimmick was up and pitching. And then all of a sudden they said, oh, he's going to sit down and we're going to get Zach Burton up. I think that's a clear example that Buck is. And that, that happened when the Orioles got the lead. Correct. I think that's a clear example of Zach Burton. You are the closer. You have been anointed. So I guess congratulations are in order. However, I will point out that by going this route, Zach Burton had probably one of the worst closing performances he's had so far and probably one of the rougher innings he's had so far. Yeah. Well, um, he's been perfect. So it's, it's not a Tommy Hunter-esque experience, but it was still of, oh, got to pace a little bit, which hasn't been normal for Zach Burton. Yeah, but you look at the last two guys that did this job. It's a great way to end your yeah. career. We also were talking about one stat earlier tonight, and it was a ground ball per fly ball ratio for Zach, uh, for Zach Burton. And it was 11.10, which leads the major leagues. The next closest person was six. Yeah, he's head and shoulders above the rest with that. No, I'm sorry you can't use that. That's copyrighted by uh, the Angels and Head and Shoulders. No, sorry about that. Yeah. We'll just strike that right out of iTunes. Um, Jake, I'm going to come back to something that I know you're going to be very passionate about. Today, uh, Major League Baseball honored our uh, soldiers by wearing Memorial Day uniforms. Thoughts? This is awful. I hate this. The, the, The camo jerseys are hideous. They're hideous. Look, it's important on Memorial Day for us to take time out of our barbecues and pool parties and beer guzzling to take a moment to recognize and appreciate the fact that there are men and women who have made the ultimate sacrifice for us for our lives, for our freedoms, for our way of life, and for our comfort. 
and that these service uh, men and women have died for us, and many more would do so without blinking if the situation called for it. Uh, we're blessed that these people are here for our country, and it takes a special breed. How do we pay tribute to these men and women? With the most hideous uniforms we could possibly think of. And we put them, slap them on our ballplayers a couple times a year and pat ourselves on the back. Now, I think this goes beyond aesthetics. I, I know that the camouflage looks awful. Here's what I'm thinking. How would the teams do one of two things, all right? Option A is to wear the armed services caps, uh, kind of like they did after 9-11, mm-hmm. you know? So one team takes, you know, Army, the other takes Navy, or one's the Marine Corps, one's uh, Air Force, all right? That, that's okay. That's better done, yeah. I, I think. The other thing that I'm going to recommend is that they're more than happy to do, you know, throwbacks where they wear a completely different uniform than, than they're set to have that day. Why don't we pick Memorial Day and the 4th of July and have every team in Major League Baseball wear one of the service academies' baseball uniforms? You know, these, these service academies have sports teams, yeah. and they've got designated baseball uh, uniforms. Why don't you have the Major Leagues wear those? You know, have Army across the chest, have Navy across the chest, any of the, the service academies. I think that would be a much better way to honor the, the military, the men and women of the military, other than this, this hideous, let's put our logo inside of DigiCami because, uh, camo, because, you know, that, that screams the military. Yeah. Digital camouflage doesn't do it for me. Even when you go back into the early nineties with Desert Storm, where they were wearing the, you know, original authentic camo, it still didn't scream, Oh, you're honoring and tributing to the, the you know, armed services. I think we're going to come back to Zach Clark. It's a game for boys played by men. To bring those two things together is kind of, eh. I just think it's a situation of you go out there, you honor the service, you do it like Darren O'Day does where you bring in military personnel into the game and you invite them there, but keep the apparel off the field. You're really not going to be able to symbolize and give, you know, great credit and due diligence by look, wearing a digital camouflage. It hat. looks like something that I could buy in the home, in, in the outdoor section of Walmart. Ah, but see, that's the whole thing is you can buy it. At your local store, and Major League Baseball makes a ton of money on it. So let's come back to this isn't honoring the military. This is a way for people to make money. Well, to be fair, they are auctioning off the ones that are worn on the field today, and all of the money goes to to good causes. Oh, oh okay. But it's still, they're going to go into stores and at lids and everything like that, and they're going to make a ton of money on that. You don't have to convince me. I think yes. it's a horrible idea. All right. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about other horrible ideas, <laughs> and that's all-star voting is happening, Jake. Jake, why is all-star voting opening up so early in the season? Well, I feel like now is the appropriate time for us to start thinking about who should be playing We're getting the close game. to that point. But it's been going on for weeks, yes. and I feel like eventually we're going to get to the point where it's going to be like spring training games, yeah. and they're handing out the all-star game ballots. The all-star ballots have been announced for so long that I almost feel like I've almost missed the all-star game i'm like oh crap i forgot to put my all-star ballots in because wait a second it's not even june yet how can i be putting an all-star ballot in if it's not even june yet so what is the ideal window then for all-star voting all-star voting in my opinion is um middle of june i'd say like middle of june is when you can start looking at your all-star ballot I don't know. I, I would say beginning of June. I, I would say June 1st is well, that's really... because you're a communist. That, absolutely. Yeah. I don't like the uh, the digicamo uniform, so clearly I must be. Yeah. But I think that this has gotten ridiculous. However, now that it's time to start thinking about that, let's talk about the Orioles that have the best chance. Okay. Um, I think cl- clearly the best chance of making it to the All-Star game for the Orioles 
is Nelson Cruz. He's leading the world in all categories, right? There's a guy called David Ortiz in Boston. Oh, that's right, because Nelson Cruz is listed as a designated hitter and not a left fielder where he's been playing most of his games this season. Correct. And as such, he's going to have to out- get voted in over a Red Sox player. Correct, which okay. is not going to happen. And you know, you also got the support of the MTV2 crowd as well. Well then, never mind. I guess then the next best uh, chance that we would have would be Adam Jones. Yeah, I guess so, except um, there's this guy called Mike Trout in the outfield that's pretty good. Oh, does does the uh, MLB do a good job of uh, of advertising him? They do a pretty decent job advertising him. Okay, so he's yeah. not a clear-cut starter, but no. I think he would be a clear reserve. Uh, I would agree with that. I think, I think actually Nelson Cruz and Adam Jones are both clear-cut reserves. Uh, moving on, Chris Davis fell off at just the right time. He had a monster year last year. He was started. He, he started the all-star game. He wouldn't have started this year, no matter nope. what kind of season he was nope. having because Miguel Cabrera moved over to first base. Absolutely. Uh, so he won't make it and, and probably rightfully so with his performance. He probably won't even make it as a reserve is my oh, guess. I, I would yeah. agree. Also a guy I don't think will return, uh, and even as a reserve is Manny Machado. I tend to agree. I think, you know, being injured for so much of the season, I just don't see him coming back as a reserve. So Manny Machado, I think, gets avoided this season as well. All right. Well, what about, um, you know, just going back through the rest of our our, uh, selections from last year, J.J. Hardy. Again, he's a solid defensive player. He hasn't hit any home runs. He's not driving the ball with authority. He's not you know, that leading offensive uh, yeah. shortstop that he's not been. Not if you're going to take Adam Jones as Nelson Cruz as reservist, there's no room for another person to come in and be a reservist. You know, the Orioles getting two players here for reservists is pretty much all they're going to get. And then the last one that I, I would think would even sniff the All-Star game at this point would be Nick Markakis. There ain't no way in hell. Right. There ain't no way in hell. He is just, you know, I, I, my prediction at the beginning of the season was he was going to rake the ball and get to his first All-Star game. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Nick Markakis doesn't deserve to go to the All-Star game, and he's not going to go to the All-Star game. Absolutely agreed. Lastly, I don't think there's an Oriole pitcher that even deserves to watch the game on television. Thoughts? Um, You know, I could actually argue Zach Britton. No, stop it. I really could. Because, again, you look at his ERA, and you look at his grand ball for a fly ball, I think if he puts together a few more saves, I could see him coming in to the All-Star game. I think the only way that... And Oriole and I guess Zach Britton would would be the default guy would be if the Orioles don't get anybody voted in and they've got just one reserve that's selected by the manager. I could see the manager trying to throw the Orioles another bone by selecting a pitcher. Maybe. Like I said, that's the only pitcher in my head I could see coming into the All-Star game would be Zach Britton. All right, so the All-Star game is going to be not as much fun as it was last year for Orioles fans. Uh, Next on the potpourri list, interleague ball. Scott, love it or hate it? Hate it. Hate yeah. it, hate it, hate it. All right, let's hear it. Why? I like my consistency where we're playing against American League teams. I just don't like this whole thing of going and playing people that we're not used to playing, like the Brewers. Who really cares about the Brewers? I mean, we used to play them back in the day when the American League, but you know, I, I, I don't really care about seeing you know pseudo Chris Davis in left field and Ryan Braun, faux Chris Davis, faux Chris Davis. Yeah, exactly. I just, I don't know. Interleague ball doesn't do it for me. It. it even I thought, you know, playing the Pirates was going to get my, you know, excitement up because it's like, oh, it's like Pittsburgh versus Baltimore. But even that has just kind of been like ho-hum. It just, I just don't care. See, I love interleague 
I, I love interleague play, and I think that the part of it that I, I like is that I appreciate the loss of the DH. You are disgusting. Look, you know, Buck Walter said on the postgame show on the 25th uh, that he wishes that Major League Baseball would just go one way or the other, either grandfather in the, the DH for both leagues or eliminate it so that everybody's dealing with the same rules. He says that he's managed in both leagues successfully, I might add, and though he, he didn't indicate which he finds more challenging uh, or which he prefers, he said that he thinks that they ought to be playing by uh, a single set of rules. Um, and he says that playing with two sets with the advent of interleague play is, is just stupid. Well, there's no way they're going to get rid of the DH in the American League, so the only option really is the DH coming into the National League. Yeah, but I, I prefer the NL game, and, and I do because I think that— You're D- a disgusting creature. I think the DH is, is kind of dumb. It, it was invented to keep the careers alive of older guys who couldn't play in the field anymore. Are you trying to tell me that watching Bartolo Colon come up in the ninth position— with runners on first and third is enticing and entertaining to you? All right, here's my counter argument. Which guy do you have more respect for as a ball player, David Ortiz or Ben Zobrist? That is such a crap question because you're throwing David Ortiz in there, which instantly nullifies the equation. Okay, who's who's another okay, let me, premier let me, designated hitter? Let's go with Harold Baines. Okay, which guy do you have? No, not fair, because he did play in the field at one point. At one point he did, but when he got older and his knees started to go up, he had to go to DH. Oh, here's the thing. Are you saying you didn't want to see Harold Baines? No, I don't. I want to see ball players. I want to see guys I cannot that can do Disney. it all. Okay, hold up a second. I'm going to come up with another name for you. Jim Tomei. Yep. You didn't want to see Jim Tomei? Nope, not as a designated hitter. Jim Tomei wouldn't have hit 500 home runs if he wasn't a designated hitter. Oh, well, boo-hoo. That means that the guys that did it when they actually had to play a position did it the right way. It makes that feat even more incredible. You were just talking about how amazing it is that Steve Pierce can come up into the lineup and just rake the ball. And Steve Pierce can play a position. That's great. But still, it's amazing to see these guys come up here and hit. I'd rather see them come up and hit rather than a pitcher. I do not It's think, all about entertainment. I do not think. No, no, no. That's what's wrong. No, it's not. That it, It's a game. It's entertainment. I am paying money here to be entertained. I'm not paying money to watch Chris Tillman go up there and just kind of dance with his bat up at the yes, plate. But it's not a video game where it's 20 to 30 every night. It's a baseball game. And I expect that the people playing baseball should be baseball players. I expect that the people that hit the ball should be able to do the rest of it. And furthermore, I expect that the people throwing the ball should be able to do the other half. I think that pitchers should... It's not crazy to expect that they should be able to hit a little bit. I'm not saying that they should be world beaters, but I don't think it's crazy to expect that a professional athlete can hit 200 or 230 in a Major League Baseball game. You're absolutely right, Jake. We should be able to go and get any professional athlete and say, hey, you're a professional athlete and you got some athletic skill. You should be able to hit like 200 or 300. The only reason, Scott, that these pitchers don't hit anymore is because we've allowed them not to. We've said, you know what? You just take this game That's off. Fine. You, you, you just take that entire part of this, of this game fine. off. So the and next... don't worry about it because I want you to be ready every fifth day to pitch. That's, That's all you got to do. And don't worry Let's about Let's go get that other Alex Ovechkin a bat and say, go up to the plate. And go hit 200 or 300. You are the best straw man in this room. What I'm saying is that... I know I'm thin, so... I don't (laughs) think it's unreasonable to expect baseball players to play baseball. And the National League expects that from everybody on the field. Yeah, and if you go and watch the National League pitchers hit, they still suck. And yet, you see magical moments like a pitcher hit a home run. Or... When's the last time you saw a magical moment with a pitcher hitting a home run? It just happened the other day. 
With who? Uh, one of the guys from the Nats. Oh, one of those guys from the Nats. Yeah, because I clearly watch a lot of National League ball, Scott. You I hear that, Josh? He doesn't watch a lot of National League ball. I prefer the National League game because I think that the, there's a lot. You prefer the National League game, but you can't even name who hit that home run that you're so interested in watching. It's because my city plays in the American League. Look, I know this is just complete crap. I know you don't like the National League game. I know you're just starting an argument. Absolutely not. No, I much prefer... I, I love interleague play because I get to see real baseball. Well, I'm going to talk. Let's go talk about real baseball players here that actually could make an impact in real baseball, aka the American League. All right, so let's do. Will we see in 2014 for the Baltimore Orioles? Okay, let's go start with Mike Wright. Uh, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say yes. We'll see him in September. Okay. Eddie Gamboa. No. I say no as well. I just don't think he's going to get up here, and I think they're just going to keep. Keeping him down in the minor leagues. I think he's an org soldier at this point. Yeah. Johan Santana. Yes. Yes, indeed. A starter or reliever? I think we're going to see him as a starter. Okay. I think we're going to see him as a starter in late July. All right. Let me ask you this. Heath Bell. I hope to God no. <laughs> I say probably. Oh, my God. I'm going to cry tears. Uh, what about Francisco Puguero? I think we see him up here by the end of the week. I agree with you. Uh, Quinton Berry. If, if Peguero fails, yes. I think we see Quinton Berry up here, regardless of whether Peguero fails, I think we see Quinton Berry up here in the next month. Okay. Uh, what about this one? How about Sakman Yoon? Um, I think he'll be a September call-up. <laughs> okay, I don't think we see him all year. I think we see him as a September call-up. All right. Last two. These are, these are going okay. below the belt. Scott, what do you think? Do we see Nolan Reimold for the Orioles this season? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to go with no. We are going to see him for a two to three game period, <laughs> and then he'll be injured again. Oh, Lord. And last but certainly not least, in 2014, Scott, do you think we will see Matt Wieters play again? No. I don't think so. Either. No. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I don't think so. It's I just, think I think he's gone. Yeah, it doesn't have that good feel. Um, Good feel... Regardless, um, Jake, uh, there were some good feelings, at least on my side, um, regarding some of the predictions I made. So uh, let's go into that next. Well, when it comes to popping a natural finger popping, baby. Natural finger popping? Yep, swing. And when it comes to popping and a natural finger popping, natural, natural finger, finger popping. Pop Not that artificial you stuff. Baby, you got me beat up and down inside and across. Ooh. Yes, I am the boss with my natural finger popping. What the hell was that? That was the original You're the Boss, by the way. Not the uh, fake Brian Setzer, Gwen Stefani version, but that was the original You're the Boss. Along with its natural finger popping. Natural finger popping, yes, exactly. So, Jake, last week we selected swinging strike percentage. You went with Caleb Joseph. I went with Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz had a 10.3% swing strike percentage. The Mad Hacker. Yep, and Caleb Joseph had a 3.7% swing strike percentage. I am shocked by that. I am literally shocked by For that. For the season, Caleb Joseph is right there with Nick Marcakis as being 
um, one of the lowest swinging strike percentage uh, hitters right now on the Orioles, which I think is very interesting. I, I do as well. Um, this week, Jake, I'm actually going to go with a much easier category for you to understand. Thanks, buddy. No problem. I'm going to go with struck, strikes per walk ratio. You can't even say it right. Strike. Well, look, I'm not Matt Shiroki here, so. <laughs> All right, strike to walk ratio. Um, so we're going to look for the pitcher that has the best ratio for the next seven days. So, Jake, who do you think is going to have the best strike per walk ratio? Zach Britton. Okay, I think that's a good one. I'm going to go with Preston Gimmett. That is a great answer. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't go with Brad Brock. No, because, uh, you know, he may go scoreless, and he may go scoreless over four, but it, it's not always pretty. Yes. <laughs> so, Jake, we've made our selections. We will find out who will own it. I'm up five to three just to rub it in a little bit for you. Ouch. Yeah. All right, Jake, let's go through some other people that didn't uh, live up to the standards that we expect. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's that time. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. In this segment, we we go through the last week or so, and we show the players that that made us proud to be Orioles fans. The Orioles that, that well, maybe didn't, and those that absolutely made us ashamed to be Orioles fans. Um, the way we do this usually is that I'll go first so that Scott can rant at the end, because his rants far exceed the quality of my own. So I'm going to go ahead and get started with my good for the week. And my good for the week, Scott, is the bullpen nobodies. I'm looking specifically at Gilmet and Brock, who went a combined nine innings pitched with one earned run and a .59, or, yeah, .59 whip. And let me tell you, that's nice to have from guys that didn't even make the club out of spring training. Quality pickups by Dan Duquette, again, you know, fleecing the uh, wave of wire and making those trades for Gilmet as well. So kudos to Dan Duquette for seeing, you know, players in the rough that could make a contribution for this team. And those two really stabilized the pen that was having some legitimate troubles. Sure. Speaking of other individuals that Dan Duquette has gone out and got this past week, um, my good is going to go to Nick Hunley for today's uh, win. Um, I think it shows a lot of character to throw the ball into right field and then come right back and hit the uh, game-winning hit at the end. So, Nick Hunley, welcome to Baltimore. Congratulations for the walk-off. It's a shame it wasn't at Baltimore so you didn't get pied. So, from, good job. From goat to hero. Yes. All right. My bad for this week. We just talked about it, and that is Abaldo Jimenez, who thinks it's April again and falling back to his own his old ways. My uh, bad for the week is going to go to Troy Patton. Two earned runs in that 13th inning game, leading to the Orioles' loss. But he's not my ugly because he gone. <laughs> and thank goodness. Yeah. All right. My ugly for this week is none other than Chris Tillman. Chris Tillman, I don't even know what to say about him at this point anymore. In two games, well, two games that he started anyway, he only made it 6.2 innings pitched. And in that time, he gave up a ridiculous 12 earned runs. I, I don't even know what he needs to fix. He just needs to get it fixed. He's got a, a ERA over 16, a whip of three. He's ugly. Yeah. My ugly for the week is obvious. To anybody that has actually listened to Baltimore Sports Radio or not, 
Ray Rice is absolutely the most ugly player this week. An absolutely horrific uh, press conference um, in terms of how he presented himself both physically and through his you know, words. I just think it was an absolute travesty for himself. I think it was an absolute travesty for the Ravens organization. And I think I can get really painted Baltimore in a bad light of just saying, oh my God, how can people actually support this individual? Ray Rice, you know, is just, it just, you know, I had some faith and ability in him. And after this, I just, he is on my bad guy list. I just don't have any respect left for that individual anymore. Ray Rice, you are ugly. I no longer can put my child or anything into Ray Rice jerseys anymore. You've lost any sort of ability to go out there and be a active member in this community. You're ugly. It was nice knowing you. I agree. Ray Rice is a bad guy. Ray Rice is, uh, well, he's definitely not the kind of guy that you want your kids looking up to. He's not the kind of guy that you want to have to root for for your football team. But, Scott, can I take a moment and, and take this as a segue to blow the save? Jake, go ahead and blow the save. The Ray Rice situation is just barely more ridiculous than its response. Now, I get that Ray Rice is a bad guy, and I don't want anything that I say to be in any way misconstrued as support or defense of Ray Rice. I get that it's inexcusable what he did. And of course, there's nothing acceptable about the entire situation. There's no way that Ray Rice can win back the support that he's lost. Knocking a woman unconscious... His fiance. It's it's an egregious act that is unconscionable. But I want to know what the critics who have been extremely loud this week expected and wanted from this quote unquote press conference. Frankly, there was nothing that he could have said or done that would have made any of these people feel better. There's nothing that he could have said that would have made up for anything that he did. And so all it managed, all it served was for a continual pile-on of things that have already been rehashed over the last several months. Ray Rice is not going to get cut. Ray Rice is not going to go away. We need to just deal with the fact that this thing has happened, and we cannot continue to rehash it. There is no way that the people that have been the most outspoken critics of Ray Rice were going to get their pound of flesh in this press conference. First of all, the Ravens and the and the handlers of Ray Rice were not going to let him take questions, so you can't beat him up over the fact that he didn't take questions. Secondly, second of all, he's a professional athlete who doesn't make his money by running his mouth. So the fact that he said the worst things humanly imaginable should surprise no one. Absolutely no one. I'm I'm completely unswayed by the fact that people are, are upset that he didn't apologize to his wife. Should should he have? Yeah, maybe. But would that have made anything better? Would anyone have taken that as anything but hollow words that he felt like he should have said and so he did? There's nothing about what anything he could have done that would have made it better or changed anybody's mind or made any of the sting of the awfulness of what happened with Ray Rice go away. People have, have criticized her for apologizing for her role in the incident or for even being with him at this point. You know what? Who cares? Ray Rice is a bad guy who did something horrible and had to go on TV out of his element and try to talk about it, discuss it publicly. This couple has a problem that they're trying to work through or not, whatever. It's none of my business, and I don't want to have to think about it for another second. You're exactly right, Scott, when you say that you shouldn't put your child in his jersey. My son's Ray Rice jersey is folded up and sitting at the bottom of his closet. He won't wear it again. But at this point, I'm sick of hearing about it. Jake has just now walked the bases and up 
there's the fourth pitch, and he just walked in the run. So with that, I think our save is blown. I think both me and Jake have agreed that Ray Rice is ugly, and we no longer going to have respect for him. I think we just disagree about the way that it was handled and how it you know looks to us. But I agree, this topic is dead to both of us. We don't want to talk about it again. We're an Orioles podcast. Let's focus on that this time. And with that, Jake, I think it's time to say our fond farewell. Well, with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.